How are you guys this morning? Wow. I've been told uh, this sermon needs to be as short as a Ronda Rousey fight. Does that make any sense to anybody? Just kidding. That, uh, that was, I saw that this morning. 34 seconds. Reminded me of Mike Tyson back in the day, you know? Anyway, crazy stuff. Youth just got back from, I see some sunburns. You got back from Six Flags yesterday, right? Fun times? Good. Awesome. Glad everybody's here. Um, we're going to uh, jump right back into Matthew 16, but first, uh, let's pray and just ask God to be uh, make himself known to us this morning. Father God, we just uh, pray for a word for you from you this morning. Father, we, we pray that you speak to us uh, through the text. Um, Father, I pray that, um, that ju- your, your word has just this way of, of speaking to our hearts and convicting us in places that we didn't even know existed. So, Father, I just pray, Father, that our hearts are, are, are open and pliable this morning. Father, do with them as you will. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, remember last week Jason was talking about um, Jesus um, and Peter, and he, he's talking to the, them and saying, who, who, do people, who do you say that I am? And Jason pointed out, and, and the text does as well, that uh, Peter comes back and says, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the Son of the living God. And, and uh, Jesus' reply was, blessed are you, Peter, for um, that was not, that was not, that did not come from flesh and blood, but came from God the Father. And uh, we're going to pick up in the text again, um, right, right after that, the, the first words of the text say that from that time on, so there may have been some time that passes uh, between the end of that and the beginning of this one, but if you will read with me, is it on the, do we have it on the screen, John? No? Okay. Um, and hopefully you have your Bible. Uh, this is Matthew 16, verse 21 through 24. Five. Uh, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling, stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny, himself, deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. So you see, in the, in the very first few words of that passage from that time on, there's this shift going on. And, and the very last words that, that Jason taught us last week was, he instructed his disciples not to say that he was the Messiah. So there's this, there's this complete shift now where Jesus is coming along and going, okay, now here's the deal, guys. I, I've got I've to do all this stuff. I'm going to be persecuted. I'm going to be killed. But on the third day, raise again, rise again. He's, he's taking them. He's discipling the disciples, if you want to. Um, but but what, he tells, what he tells them really offends Peter. I mean, if, if it offends him a lot. And he, he botches it so much. If you'll remember in the passage last week, he did such a great job allowing God to speak to him that he recognized Christ as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But this week, he's all about Peter again. Um, when he said, Jesus, he said this again, Jesus begins to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hand of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And we see Peter rebuke Jesus, right? Like, I mean, 
you, you said last week he was son of the living God. You say he's the Messiah, but now I'm, I'm, I feel entitled to rebuke you, Jesus. Hey, Jesus, come here just a second. You know, let's go off here to the side. This ain't going down that way, you hear? I mean, um, we're not going to go to Jerusalem. You're not going to be persecuted, and they're not going to put you to death. That's just not going to happen. I won't let that happen on my watch. Right, guys? And, he, you know, um, and what Jesus' reply was, you know, get behind me, Satan. Um, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Last week, or last passage, he had the, the concern, the mind of God, uh, that God imparted this wisdom to him to, that, that this was Jesus the Messiah. This week, it's all about uh, his own agenda. And we don't really know how long, how much time's passed between the two. Um, but chronologically, it seems like it would be pretty soon after. Um, in a typical Jesus fashion, Jesus takes this opportunity not only to, to come back at Peter, but to teach the, teach the disciples. Um, he says this in his own words, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And that right there is it. Three, characteristic, three characteristics of being a Christ follower. Deny oneself, take up their cross, and follow me. What's the first thing that pops into your mind when we talk about denying oneself? Anybody? You can't like it? No fun? Okay. What's that? Material things? Fasting? That was, that was the one, that was the biggie. That was one I was looking for because that is the ultimate denial of our appetites. If we're talking about food, right? Or if we're talking about, you know, uh, we do this during Lent where we give up something. Maybe it's screens or whatever, food or coffee or Coke or whatever it is. But that, that to me, uh, embodies this deny yourself thing. Is anybody really good at that? Anybody good at fasting? No? I don't see any hands. I'm not either. I just, you know, up, and apparently Peter uh, here is not real keen on denying himself as well. Uh, but it's, it's tough to reject your own appetite, Right? I mean, we get hungry, therefore we eat. Um, and it's fun. It's good. We do it around meals. We'll have meals with other families, and this is a social event. Uh, we do it with our families. If you fully want to understand what denying oneself looks like, take a look at Peter in this passage and do the opposite of that, okay? That's exactly uh, because he is not um, denying himself here. Again, he just says, Jesus, listen, if you don't go to Jerusalem, you won't have to die, and I will be happy. That, that's the order of things that the way I understand them. You are the Messiah, and I have this picture of what that's supposed to look like, and you dying doesn't fit in that. So denying oneself is learning to have and walking with the mind of God. In his, in his rebuke, Jesus said, you don't have the mind of God, Peter. Disciples, the rest of the disciples, us, right? See, if we're dragged around by our desires or our own appetites or our lusts, we're not going to be led by the mind of God. They are complete opposites. Worse yet, if we're dragged around by the appetites and the desires of someone else, it's worse. I think this is why Jesus uses such a strong rebuke uh, of Peter, telling him to get behind me, Satan. Those are pretty strong words. Those of you who have been to my house know that I have a little dog. He's a Shih Tzu, right? He fits me perfectly, you know, a little, little guy. And... Uh, He's got these treats. He loves them. I, I brought some with me. And I was going to let somebody taste them if they wanted to because I, I haven't done that. But 
So he's got these treats. Do you all have these? They're awesome, I guess, because he goes nuts anytime these are out. And there's a box of them in the pantry, and he knows it. And then, but there's these little nuggets of food. He's always got food in his bowl. And they smell exactly the same to me. I don't know why, but he goes crazy for this one, but there's tons of these sitting in his bowl. Um, but every time, I, every time uh, you know, I get one of these out, he doesn't even wait for me to start asking him to do the tricks, right? I mean, he'll start rolling over, he'll shake, he'll stand up, he'll, he'll bark. You know, he does everything. He does the whole routine. And I'm like, I haven't even told you to do anything. So he's, he's kind of crazy that way. But um, what he's also equated these treats to is that when we go outside, I take him out for a walk first thing in the morning. And we'll walk around. And when it's done, and I'm done, basically I'm done. He takes care of business. And then I'm done. I'm ready to go back in. I'm like, okay, boy, let's just go get a treat. Boom, he takes off for the house. I mean, it's, it's beeline to the house, right? Um, and that's the way we get him inside. But what he's, the bad part about it, though, is he's equated going outside and coming back in to getting a treat. So instead of going over by the pantry and barking or, um, or doing, a tri- doing a trick, he'll go over and sit by the door and start going, mm, 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 just like grunting, like, I got to go outside, Dad. You got to let me outside. We got to go. And I'm like, dude, I just took you out just like a minute ago. And, he, mm, mm, mm. and I'm like, okay. So, you know, we, we have to do this whole thing. And I'm thinking about maybe, maybe my, my deal to him is I need to say, get behind me, budge, or something. I don't know. He, he, he won't deny his appetite for these stupid treats while he's got these other ones uh, in there that smell exactly the same to me. I'll, one of y'all can taste those later if you want to. Um, but anyway, so maybe next time... Uh, I'll tell him, get behind me, Satan or Budge or whatever his name is. Um, Jesus and his rebuked disciple says, I know this doesn't make sense to you, okay? I know all the stuff that I've just explained to you doesn't make sense to you. It confuses you and it frustrates you. And it's not what you want, though. It's about the will of the Father. That's what being a follower of Christ is. It's allowing yourself to uh, be subject to his will, to his desires. That's denying oneself. Not getting what we want unless it lines up with what God wants. And if they're not, deferring to the Father's will. The next characteristic of that, of, of being a disciple, is to take up one's cross. Don't you find it interesting in this passage that Jesus would use the word picture of the cross? I mean, we, we're sitting here 2,000 years later going, ah, yeah, well, that makes sense. Pick up your cross and follow me. But Jesus hasn't yet told the disciples, I'm going to the cross to die. They don't know about the cross. Well, they know about the cross in their context, which is this... Uh, this gruesome event that happens to the worst criminals, right? That they, they, They're made to, te- to, to pick up their cross after sentence and carry it to the hill and be crucified, right? And, so, and it's a gruesome death. But Jesus hasn't yet told them, I'm going to be crucified on a cross, guys. So this is, a, this is an interesting word picture that he uses. Um, in Roman times, Rome, Rome uh, reserved crucifixions for the worst of the worst, Ultimately saying and displaying that for the entire Roman world that this person has violated Roman law, but now they are under the authority of Rome, and we're going to show this in the most graphic of terms. Literally carrying this instrument of your death that you and your will and your entire life has been conquered by Rome. You were acting outside the law, you were in opposition to an enemy of Rome, but you've been found guilty, and now you are conquered. I think that's what Jesus is saying here by telling the disciples to pick up their cross. He's saying, he's saying this, what we have is a, a, is a significantly uh, greater word picture probably post-resurrection uh, than pre, but still it carries the same weight. 
Um, like the Romans were conquering subjects that were found guilty of the law, so too must your heart's disciples also be completely and utterly conquered by God. You must be willing to bear this cross. Uh, being a follower of Jesus is not always pleasant, and you must bear it just the same. As one carrying a cross, I'm, I am conquered. My path is laid out before me. I can't vary. The, the Roman soldiers who were leading the guys to their execution on the cross, they didn't allow them to go off and get water. They didn't allow them to, to vary and go do something that they wanted to do. Now they were under Roman law, and they were under the authority of Rome. And so they, they followed the path uh, to their deaths. And the death we must endure is not literal, but it's a death of, our, of ourselves, really, daily. And it ties back really, rather succinctly to this denying oneself. And that taking up one cross is a picture of one who totally surrenders to God. But as a follower of Jesus, we know that there is great joy in being totally surrendered, right? To his will, being conquered in this manner. In his letters, Paul writes this later. I think it's over in Acts. No, anyway, some of his letters. He sums it up these, these ways. I've carried my cross. I have run the race. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But now Christ lives in me, and this life I do live, I live for the glory of God. I no longer live for my own purposes, my own desires, but for his glory. And that is a, car, uh, is a heart conquered by God. And Christ's last distinctive uh, of, a, of a disciple is that we should follow him, right? And that makes complete and utter sense if we break it down just to the... It's just simple. We just follow him. Go where he goes. Experience what he experiences, Right? But Jesus walked toward rejection his whole life. He walked toward sorrow and toward difficulty and trials. And this is a tough path. As Christ followers, we have the honor and privilege of walking in the steps. Um, These are our marching orders. And these are big shoes to fill, right? These are big shoes to fill, and and we can't. But to go where he went, see what he saw, to do what he did and love who he loved. You know, I think the what would Jesus do bracelets have run the course, right, probably 20 years ago. Uh, but the idea and the sentiment should be the same, should be ours as Christ followers. What would Jesus do and then do it, right? What would Jesus want and then want that? Who would Jesus love and then reach out and reach out to and then we should love and reach out to them? And then, and then be willing to suffer the consequences for that. That's the hard part is be willing to suffer the consequences for it because that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus was constantly jumped on by the religious mostly. If our loving someone Jesus would love causes us grief, then so be it. If our serving someone Jesus would serve opens up us up for criticism, so be it. If our giving to someone Jesus would give to puts us in the hole financially, so be it. Suffer it and then thank God for it. Then thank God for it. Our lives and our hearts and our well-being, even our money are his anyways, right? And then we should be following him, following his example. We see later in the book of Acts that after the disciples left the Sanhedrin, after being scourged, scourged, this being whipped multiple times to the point of death sometimes for some, but the, but the disciples here were scourged and they rejoiced. It says this in Acts 5.41, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They were rejoicing because they were counted worthy of suffering a fraction of what Jesus suffered for his namesake. This is an amazing paradox. The joy and the peace that we get to walk, when we get to walk in obedience with God's will. And undoubtedly, uh, we may look like fools, uh, even to, or mostly to, our religious friends. 
We need to be sure that we're following Christ, though. We need to be sure that we're following Christ's words and not our own appetites, our own lusts, and our own desires. Because it would really stink to be take a scourging, right? And then suffer the humiliation and it not be the will of God. I think that's the luxury Christ had was this direct connection uh, and this direct word from God. The last part of this passage says, whoever wants to save his life or preserve it will lose it. Whoever will save his life will lose it. If you want to save your life, give it away. You will find your life when you lose it in me. I've seen this recently in a good friend of mine who's been in rehab. And one of the key steps of sobriety is giving it away. Uh, it's, a, it's a biblical notion that really works. If you, if you want to remain sober, give yourself away. Give yourself to someone else who also wants to remain sober. Lose yourself in them. Help someone. And in doing so, you help yourself. That's a biblical concept. And whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But if we try to preserve what's ours, if we try to preserve our life, we will lose it. It's going to backfire. It's going to end miserably. The desire to run after the pleasures of life often and always backfires in destruction. It happens sooner to some than later, but it always happens. But like in rehab, if you're just trying to white-knuckle it, if you're just trying to hold on to what you got for a time, and you haven't given yourself away, you're likely to fail. To fall back to your old pattern, to your old desires, to your own lusts, to your own appetites, these lead to destruction. So it's really tough to keep score, right? So I think we just shouldn't. I don't think Jesus kept tally on those he loved. I don't think he healed and then did a little check mark. I don't think he kept numbers of those that he taught, and neither should we. We simply live in the moment, listening and acting on God's directives. Being in tune with the Spirit. Like, well, like we saw Peter, uh, Peter in last week's passage, being in tune with what God was telling him, that this was the Messiah, the Son of the living God, versus hearing a word directly from Jesus, who is the Son of the living God, and you having a rebuke for him. We can't even begin to in, in understand the joy and contentment that's, uh, that, that has this life uh, uh, where, we're, where we're in tune with God. We can't, it's, tough, it's tough to explain, um, but there is joy associated with it. But I think that the reason uh, Jesus here rebuked Peter so hard is because he was going to be leading the church. He was going to be, he and the rest of the apostles were going to be leading this charge, this new way. And like the dog with the appetite thing, I mean, it's, you don't want to follow somebody around with the appetite for the wrong stuff, right? So Jesus reserved these words for him, and I think his words were on purpose when he said, Get behind me, Satan. He was saying to Peter, you can't follow me if, you, if you're out in front of me. And you can't follow me if you're by my side. In order to follow me, you need to be behind me, walking as I walk, experiencing what I'm experiencing, loving who I love, and doing what I do. Peter, you follow me. 